morning, morning Ecclesia. Um, good to be with you. My name is Alan Black. I am, well, I'm a friend of some people in Ecclesia, so I'm a friend of Ecclesia, and it's good to be with you. Uh, we're in Daniel um, chapter 5 uh, today, Daniel chapter 5, and um, I don't want to be crude, but I wonder if you've had an experience where the bottom has dropped out of your world and almost immediately, if I can put it like this, the world dropped out of your bottom. I, I have had that experience. I, I, I just managed to make it to the toilet in time. But here we're reading of... Um, a celebrity experiencing this in a very public uh, manner. So, um, Daniel chapter 5, let me read it. We're re we've been reading about King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, today it's King Belshazzar, who is his grandson. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron, of wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His let me, let me translate this literally for you. You'll understand my comment at the beginning. Literally, his face turned pale. The thoughts of his heart alarmed him. The knots of his loins were loosed, which I take to mean his bowels opened and his knees knocked together. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O oh, king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, 
appointed the chief, him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing, to tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems, if you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the Most High God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne, stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the godlets taken from his temple and brought to you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines to drink wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron, of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, many, many tekel passing. This is what these words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed round his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. 
and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So it reminds me of um, Jesus' famous parable of um, the rich fool, which ends, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And then who will get all that you have stored up for yourself? And for all of us, that day will come. May we not be living as fools when it does come. And as for us as individuals, so for this country in which we live and Western civilization of which it is a part, it too will come to an end and the end will probably be sudden as in Belshazzar's day it was for Babylon. His last day was Babylon's last day though neither he nor they knew it. Last week you were in Daniel chapter 24. I take it it was last week. Just 25 years before Nebuchadnezzar walking on the roof of his house admiring the glory and power of his kingdom and boasting in its greatness. And in reality, the world had never seen anything like that before. But as Daniel warned, it is the Lord who sets up kings and deposes them. God had given Babylon 70 years and their time was now up. And one day God will pull the plug on Western civilization. And in our interconnected world, the last straw could come from anywhere. A political uprising in another part of the world, a viral video, a distant tsunami, a cyber attack, a tiny invisible virus. Now, you know, we, we're going through lots of crises at the moment, aren't we? And we've faced many crises before, and we have overcome them. So we get the idea, whatever we face, we will be able to overcome. But the same is true of many previous civilizations. And generally, when the end came, it came very, very fast. And Daniel 5 gives us the marks of a culture of a civilization whose end is very near. And the mark is basically pride and complacency. As Proverbs puts it, pride comes before a fall, a haughty spirit before destruction. And the most dangerous form of that arrogance is arrogance towards God. So at the end of chapter 4 last week, we saw Nebuchadnezzar praising and exalting and glorifying the God, king of heaven because everything he does is right. And he's recognizing that dominion belongs to him and his is an everlasting kingdom. Here, we have his grandson praising the gods of silver and gold, refusing 
to humble himself before the Lord of heaven. And Daniel exposes, or Daniel 5, exposes that arrogance in three scenes for us, in each of which he disses the Lord, if I can put it, put it like that. He disses the Lord's service, vessels from the temple. He disses the Lord's servant, having already pensioned him off, and he disses the Lord's judgment, thinking he's cracked the code, he's nothing to worry about. So um, I think this is a very important chapter for us. How close we are to the end in the West, I have no idea. I am not prophesying. But the Lord's service, the Lord's servants, and the Lord's judgment are all dismissed in our day. So let's scene one. Scene one, Belshazzar's feast. Um, uh, oh, skip that one. Sorry, you must have the old one. Oh, no, never mind. Um, you didn't get the one I sent last night. Sorry. Um, come back to that one. Um, but Belshazzar's feast is, um, is, is, our, is our first scene. And at the beginning of the chapter, we have no sense that there is a major crisis taking place. All we see is Belshazzar with his wives and concubines and a thousand of his nobles at a great banquet. We don't know why they are feasting. We don't know whether... Um, Belshazzar is just trying to cement his alliances, reward his supporters, um, or celebrate his greatness. It's only when we get to the end of the chapter, almost the last sentence, that we discover the Medes and the Persians are at the gates of the city and that Babylon was facing a massive crisis. Yet it doesn't appear to be and eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, booze up. Um, they appear to be celebrating, worshipping. It's a feast full of pride, and in view of what's outside the gates, a, a feast of pride and complacency. Uh, as though nothing can affect Babylon's greatness. And this, this problem, whatever it is, will soon be solved. And then comes a fatal moment, uh, verse 2. They take the cups um, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, the gold and silver goblets, and placed in the treasure house of his God. Um, as though um, the only place left for God to dwell in now is a museum, which is precisely what many people in this country think. But Belshazzar takes that arrogance to the nth degree by bringing them out to the treasure house of his God and giving them to his wives and concubines and nobles to drink wine from and praise the gods of um, gold and silver, or if you like, human glamour and glory, of bronze and iron, which are what their weapons were made of, the gods of power and might, and wood and stone, which is what their magnificent buildings and cities were constructed of. Um, why did he do this? 
Um, was he just affirming the greatness of Babylon? Here, look. Look at these vessels. We took them from that land. See how great we are. But Judah wasn't terribly significant in terms of military power ever. Not certainly compared with the Medes and Persians outside um, the city gates. Or was it instead an act of bravado against the God of Israel? Nebuchadnezzar had eventually humbled himself before this God. Belshazzar would not. Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar had worshipped him. Belshazzar would worship the traditional gods of gold and silver. But whatever his reasons, just as um, you know, an unforeseen virus had the British Prime Minister, fight, the Lord of Optimism, fighting for his life in, his, in hospital last year, an unforeseen hand has Belshazzar quaking at the knees. Sometimes the Bible talks about God's mighty arm of power. But this is not a mighty arm of power, not even a clenched fist. It's just the fingers of a hand writing on the wall. How powerful God is when he does nothing more than write and rulers tremble. It's no wonder that subsequent tyrants have tried to ban the Bible. So then we read of this, you know, um, it describes Belshazzar from head to toe falling apart. Uh, the countenance of his face changed. The thoughts of his heart alarmed him. <laughs> the knots of his loins were loosed and his knees bashed together. And so it will be for all who diss the Lord's name and desecrate his worship. We strut through life. We've all done it. We think we are invincible. But it really doesn't take very much to bring us down. So Daniel's sentence against him is very simple. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron, of wood and stone, which cannot see or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. It is a beautiful thing when we know that the God who holds our life in his hands and our ways in his hands is our Father in heaven. It is a terrible thing if in our pride we deride him and worship created things rather than the creator and then discover he has our life in his hands and our ways as well. The king is terrified, um, but he's not yet ready to throw in the towel. So he brings in his version of SAGE, um, Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies. Um, the magicians and the, ast the astrologers, an army of experts he has at his disposal. He calls them in. He promises them rich rewards, 
clothed in purple, um, become the third ruler. That's a, an interesting little historical note for those interested in that sort of thing. In the, Belshazzar was the crown prince rather than the ruler, and his father, Nabodidus, had gone off into exile somewhere. Um, something he was um, um, gone on a religious retreat. So he, he was, Belshazzar was second ruler. So whereas, you know, other kings say, um, I'll give you half of my empire, my, my kingdom, um, here he has to promise them the, the third, a third highest ruler. Um, in, in the land. Um, so he brings them in, um, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant, and the king became even more terrified. His face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Which brings us to the second scene. Into the commotion comes the queen. Uh, presumably the queen mother, since we've already been told that his wives and concubines were at the banquet. And if it is the queen mother, then she was an actual daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. So a voice from the past who knew the history. And she reminds Belshazzar of Daniel, who by this stage would have been in his 80s and seemingly had been pensioned off even though he was known for having um, the spirit of God in him. I think some of our translations are spirits of God. But spirit of God in him, it could equally be translated. And who was full of wisdom and able to interpret dreams and riddles and solve difficult problems. And that Belshazzar is reminded of him rather than introduced to him is suggested by the fact that he has knowledge of Daniel that the queen does not give him. So uh, in verse 13, he says, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought before Judah? And I suspect there is a power play there. You are one of the exiles or the son of one of the exiles. I'm the son of my father who conquered you and brought you here to service. So I have power to promote you, to elevate you, to reward you if you will interpret for us this writing that my great wise men are unable to interpret. Um, and that there is some sort of conflict here, I think, is again underlined by the way Daniel responds to him. You may keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will interpret it to you. In previous chapters, we've seen that though Daniel is the representative of the kingdom of God, he has always spoken to the emperor, King Nebuchadnezzar, with great respect and great longing for this king um, to, to, to come to know God. But here, instead of interpreting the, um, or instead of immediately interpreting the, the writing to him, he accuses him. The finger of God that is written on the plaster is now pointing at um, Bel, Belshazzar. And he 
he says, the, it was Lord, the Lord my God who gave Nebuchadnezzar power and authority. And Nebuchadnezzar responded with pride and arrogance, so the Lord brought him low. He was deposed from his throne, he was driven out of his palace to live with the animals, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged the Most High and lifted his eyes to the sovereign God who rules over all the kingdoms of earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 22, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets brought from his temple to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze, and iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. It's you, you, you. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote uh, the inscription. So it's accusation, 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 a finger pointing at Belshazzar. But now he is ready to give uh, the interpretation. So that is um, scene three, and we're right. We're, we're on the right um, PowerPoint slide now. So um, um, you know, what what is the interpretation? Many, many tackle passing. So uh, let me just take a, just a few minutes just to show you some slides because to to understand this was a real puzzle. You need to recognise that Aramaic writing, like Hebrew writing. Um, has consonants but no vowels. So the English equivalent would look like this one. Next next slide. Have we got that? Yeah. It would look like that. Or given that they wrote, wrote from right to left rather than left to right, it would look like this. Um, and there would have been a number of ways in which you could divide it up those letters to form words with a number of vowels going with them. It could have, we don't know exactly how it wrote, could have looked like this, next one, or it could have, this is how Rembrandt picture, pictures it, uh, very similar to that. Have we got Rembrandt, next one? Oh no, we haven't got it. Okay, sorry. I, I updated my um, PowerPoint. But anyway, that's how Rembrandt, so the previous one had it. So a, a variety of ways of di dividing up and then the words, uh, words could have been nouns, or they could have been verbs, or they could have been headings for messages. So I'm trying to say the puzzle was enormously difficult to make sense of. But the point of riddles is that when you have made sense of it, everybody can recognize that that is the answer because it just um, you know it dots all the i's and crosses all the t's so daniel um yeah next one daniel split the four words uh for uh, the text into these four words um many many tekel parsin or upasin is a, is a plural of the peris that he will talk about in a moment and those um, four words are weights 
used in trade. So next one, Mina is uh, 60 shekels, Tekel one shekel, Perez is a half weight. Um, half a Mina or half a, te a Tekel a shekel, we don't know. Um, and these nouns are all related to verbs. So the verb, uh, next one, thank you, the verb to weigh, um, the, the verb to assess, and the verb to divide. And um, they are also related to alternative verbs coming from the same, um, um, same roots. So if you use slightly different uh, vowels and a slightly different tense, you get this. He has entrusted to you. You are too light. He has handed over to you. And you bring them all together, and it's something like this. The weighty kingdom of Babylon has been entrusted to you, but you are too light, a mere one-sixtieth of the weightiness of Nebuchadnezzar. But if you are too light, two half-meaners will do the job, the Medes and the Persians. And Perez sounds very much like Persia. The kingdom is handed over to them. So Daniel's interpreted the uh, writing on the wall. What will Belshazzar do about it? Um, at first sight, it's, it's not quite clear. Is he going to respond in repentance, turn back to the Lord, or with revelry, go back to his feast? Will he bow in worship to the God of heaven, as Nebuchadnezzar did, or will he return to the dog the gods of wood and stone, like a dog returning to his vomit. Um, so at first blush, it, it's unclear. What he does is he gives the word of command and has Daniel dressed in purple, which is what he didn't want. But think about it. What, what is he doing? He's, he's just received a catastrophic message. Babylon is about to crumble. The Medes and the Persians are at the city walls. If Belshazzar believes these claims, surely he would address them in some way. He would have sought God's mercy, asked how God's judgment could be averted. At least he would have prepared his troops. But instead, Belshazzar decides to honor um, Daniel with a reward that Daniel didn't want um, and a seat in the kingdom that Daniel has just said is doomed to destruction. It appears that Belshazzar thinks he's off the hook because the writing has been decoded and therefore it is no longer a threat to him. Life can now return to normal. We've got the vaccine. Everything's fine. As such, Belshazzar is acting like a fool, dissing God's judgment. We've cracked the code. It's no longer a threat to me. When he should have been on his knees in prayer, he's conducting a cabinet reshuffle, like the famous man, if ever was such a man, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, it's a very sorry state of affairs, but it's all too common. You know, just think of the, the lady next door to me who um, had a brain tumor, terminal cancer. 
and trying to talk to her about her future. She didn't want to know anything about the future, just wanted to watch television. And we are very used to, um, forgive me if I'm sounding a little political today, but we are very used to um, crises happening and government inactivity. It will all work out in the end, won't it? A few hours after Daniel's interpretation of this judgment, the Medes and the Persians storm the city. The city is, is torched. The few remaining soldiers who are alert are killed, along with Belshazzar, the king. He is dispensed with. That's how it ends. But in the wings is another king, Darius. And I think its relevance for us today is that um, chapter 5 provides us um, with um, a vivid foreshadowing of the final end. When, as Jesus said, men will be eating, drinking, and sleeping, thinking their lives are secure, and suddenly... God's judgment will come. As the Apostle Paul puts it, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security. Sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But God's judgments always lead to something new. And it's true here. There is a king in the wings. Last verse. Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Um, the remarkable thing about that is um, we're told his age. Practically never happens in scripture. Why are we told his age? Why are we told he was 62? Um, this is speculation. Is it because, next slide, I think I've got this one. Um, the mean of the tekel and the two peris, next one, add up to 62. Is that why? Darius is the one who's going to bring balance. Belshazzar was too light, far too light. Darius and Cyrus, his co-ruler, the Persian, will come and bring balance, which will be good for the people of God because they will be a protective um, sovereignty over them. And they will encourage them to return to their temple and rebuild it. That these vessels that have been desecrated might be rehoused and God's worship continue. Or possibly, I, will, I don't know who's going to preach on Daniel chapter 9. Um, next slide. This is connecting us with the 62 we are going to read about. Where um, Daniel is told the immediate future will be 70 weeks of years, and that is divided up into seven weeks of years, during which time the city will be rebuilt, um, and presumably the city of Jerusalem, and 62 weeks of years until the anointed one is cut off. Another way of translating that is until the Christ is cut off, which most people see as referring, or many people see as referring to the cross. Well, whether you buy that or not, um, it doesn't really matter. Daniel is all about 
the kingdom of this world coming crashing down and the kingdom of God coming in tiny form but growing and growing and growing until it fills the whole earth. So I just want in closing you to think about the king in the wings, not Darius this time, but our Lord Jesus Christ, who when he came did not diss God's judgment, but came as our representative and took that judgment upon himself, being baptized in the river Jordan for the repentance of sins, not his sins, but our sins, with God saying, this is my beloved son whom I love. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance who came as the man full of the Spirit of God without measure, the true interpreter of God's writing. And as he faced the end, at his last supper, took the cup of the Lord and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for you. So I just want to ask us, when we face the end and the many crises on the end, whether it's to the, you know, the end of our lives or the end of this uh, present world order, who will we trust in? Those of whom the Lord will say, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and then who will get all you've stored up for yourself? Fools who diss God's worship, who dis God's servant who dis God's judgment? Or will we put our trust in the king who at his last supper said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for many. And then went to meet the enemy in order to inaugurate a kingdom that will never end. And said to his disciples, I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father confirmed, conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So this passage is all about the end. But if we know how to face the end, we will know how to live the rest of our lives. So whose table do you want to sit at? Whose counsel are you going to follow? Whose verdict do you want to share in? Whose world, whose kingdom, whose people will you invest your life in? Let's pray together. Um, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, our lives, our ways, our days are in your hand. And in this world that in many ways seems so powerful and so influential, where you are marginalized and put to one side, 
May we have wisdom to build our lives on the rock, on the foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ, and not on this, the sand of this passing world. And Lord, we pray, give us the humility, the repentance, Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.